Talk to my friend Drew Lennon. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I look this guy for wisdom. tremendous thanksgiving with your family and families out there i sure did Uh, i had a wonderful time i will say i was only around conservatives this thanksgiving and while i'm grateful of course that it was peaceful i didn't have to uh sit with any liberal democrats who pulled an article from cnn out of their pockets to see the talking points and how they were supposed to reach across the dinner table and confront conservative, racist, bigots, and homophobes uh, and try and make converts of us to their idiocy. Uh, Yes, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. But I got to say, you know, it was a missed opportunity for me because, you know, I, I would actually, I would like at this time in our nation's history to be forced into a room with at least one or two, um available Democrat voters for an hour or two, it would bring me great joy. I would love to ask them so many questions. Ask them about how wonderful they believe this administration is to get their feedback on how they think things are going under this administration. Maybe to confront them like Peter Ducey does to Jen Psaki in the press conferences and watch them squirm in their chairs across from me. That would have brought me great joy, but alas, another time. Did you hear, well, where did you guys spend Thanksgiving? I spent it with family. Did did you hear where Joe Biden spent Thanksgiving? I'm sure you have by now. Uh, He spent his Thanksgiving and will continue to spend his holiday in Nantucket. Nantucket. The home of uh, billionaires and those that Joe Biden and the Democrat Party claim need to pay their fair share. They're always ridiculing the billionaires, aren't they? And yet, where did Joe spend Thanksgiving? Yes, Nantucket, but he doesn't have a home in Nantucket. He's got several homes. He's got the White House. He's got, uh, you know, various places uh, that are bases that he could have spent Thanksgiving Camp David, for example, but no, he didn't do that. He went to Nantucket on the invitation of a billionaire. That's right. Joe Biden spent Thanksgiving with uh, David Rubenstein. David Rubenstein, who, well, he's a a private equity billionaire uh, of the Carlyle Group, and... Rubenstein's net worth is $4.6 billion. That's according to a Forbes estimate. And he's the one who co-founded that private equity firm, the Carlyle Group. Which, by the way, the Carlyle Group has many, many bankruptcies under their belt. That's right. Many of the companies they have acquired and oversee have filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. 
I, I thought that they wouldn't spend time with somebody who had used the system, abused the system. Remember Hillary Clinton and the Democrats when, in the 2016 uh, presidential election during the debates and so on and so forth? I believe Hillary Clinton said something, you know, every chapter of Trump's book stops at chapter 11 because he had filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy, especially as it concerned uh, his uh, casinos. But, uh, and, and, you know, Trump fired back, look, I mean, it's a way to, uh, to salvage and, and streamline these companies. It's something that everyone does. But when Donald Trump filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy, that was a sign and signal of his failure, of his incompetence. And yet, Joe Biden now is spending his Thanksgiving with David Rubenstein, who has filed for numerous Chapter 11 bankruptcies in his portfolio. Um... I have a problem with this. I have a severe problem with this. You know what I'm calling this? I'm calling this Biden's quid pro quo Thanksgiving. That's right. He is staying at the home of David Rubenstein. He will be hosted by David Rubenstein. And I want to tell you this about David Rubenstein. He served, I believe, in the Carter administration. He's 72 years old. And he has been vocal on political matters especially when it comes to taxing the rich, taxing billionaires. Uh, you know, he slammed Senator Elizabeth Warren's proposed wealth tax. He said, I quote, If you tax the upper income, there aren't enough of those people to really make a wealth distribution effect that's going to be significant. Well, we all know that. Rubenstein said it. Rubenstein is no conservative Republican, by the way. He is uh, a leftist. He's a leftist, but he's a billionaire. And the biggest lie, one of the biggest lies, there are many, of course, from the left, but one of the biggest lies from the left is that the billionaires are the Republican class. The billionaires are Democrats. It is the Democrat Party that is in bed with billionaires, whether it's Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos, you name it, or David Rubenstein. They have the ear of the Democrat Party and Wall Street. The Democrats are not the party, the middle class, or the little guy. We know now, too, and this is all leading, these roads that I'm laying down from a few different angles here, they're all going towards one road. So stay with me. Now, we know that the Democrats, fresh off their Republican-given um, victory, helping them pass the infrastructure bill. Now they're moving on to the Build Back Better plan, right? They're moving on to the Build Back Better plan. That's what they're really trying uh, to push and pass. That will be the final nail in the coffin of America. The behemoth, multi-billion dollar bill that they claim multi, multi-trillion. I said billion, I mean multi-trillion dollar bill was already paid for, and then they said, well, okay, it's not paid for, we've got to pay for it, and they claimed they were going to pay for it by, you know, punishing the top 1%, punishing the billionaires, getting rid of loopholes, but of course, now we know it turns out that in this bill, they're actually giving tax benefits to the billionaires, that's right, it's right there in the open for the indoctrinated left Marxists in this country that voted for Joe Biden to see if they would but open their eyes and ears and allow themselves some ability 
to exercise free rational thought. That's a lot to ask for. But anyway, so Rubenstein, he's been a supporter of the carried interest loophole. All right, that's a tax break that treats these private equity profits like capital gains rather than income so that they pay lower taxes on it, right? And so the loophole from the left, you know, this is seen as a giveaway to these financiers because, like I said, it allows them to pay a lower tax rate on the profits. And this is the individual that Joe Biden is suddenly suddenly spending Thanksgiving with. And I want to tell you that this is a massive ethical issue. This is a quid pro quo. I'll get in the details of why I say that in a moment. But you know there's something wrong. You know this stinks to high heaven because CNN and the mainstream media, the propagandists that cover for the Democrat Party and do their bidding and vice versa, well, they are going to great lengths to justify this odd Thanksgiving extravaganza. In fact, if you read the headlines and the articles from CNN, uh, MSNBC, NBC, all the usual suspects out there that we know are liars, well, they are spinning this. They are talking about what a great long-standing tradition this is for the Biden family. They, they, they always go to Nantucket, don't you see? Back when uh, Jill and Joe got married, they went to Nantucket. But they don't go to Nantucket every year. You know, I, I understand tradition to be something you do annually. If it's a Thanksgiving tradition, you do it every single year. There are a handful of times this family has gone to Nantucket. A handful. That is not a tradition. And as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, Joe Biden... Uh, went to Nantucket when he was vice president back in 2014. And he stayed where? With David Rubenstein at his compound again. I think it's 15 acres he's got there. Let's see. No, 13 acres. It's reportedly worth $20 million. And how coincidental that the Rubenstein invitation to Biden only comes about when he is near, or in this case, in the Oval Office, when he was vice president in 2014, and now that he's president again, now that, sorry, now that he's president, uh, presently. Very, very odd, don't you think? Uh, In those interim years, let's remember, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, four years there, Joe Biden was just a private American citizen. He didn't go to Rubenstein's compound in those years, only in 2014, and now in 2021 that he is in the Oval Office. And now I want to take you to the true ethics problem with all of this. You know, there are something called bribery laws in America that prohibit the receipts of anything of value for or because of an official act performed or to be performed. That would be quid pro quo. Now, what is the monetary value of this stay at a billionaire's house? What is the monetary value 
of the Thanksgiving feast that will likely be provided for Joe Biden. Will Joe Biden be funding everything, paying for his stay, paying for the meal at Rubenstein's estate or no? And if so, $350 is the accepted limit by which you as the president of the United States can accept a gift from the American public, in this case, Rubenstein. Now, how much would a hotel cost in Nantucket? How much would it cost to rent a home for his family in Nantucket? I would say for a, I don't know, well, one night, but certainly he's staying there multiple nights, it would be well above $350. And Rubenstein's a billionaire hosting this extravaganza. We don't know who's there, how many people, but I guarantee you the value is well above $350. So what do we have here? We have the most overtly unethical president and administration in American history. I kid you not. You know, even Obama, when he was president, didn't go to these links in the public eye to show such impropriety. You know, he was pictured feeding poor families and so on and so forth. George Bush went over and, and spent time with troops in Iraq, for example. And Donald Trump, he went to Mar-a-Lago, an estate he owns, and he paid for everything himself. But now we have Joe Biden uh, infamously on the take, infamously uh, not using his own money or expenses for anything, using his position to get things for free, and of course, the most corrupt individual in the office, in politics, perhaps in American history. And that says a lot because we know that there's rampant corruption in Washington, D.C. In fact, it is known as the swamp, thanks to Donald Trump, which is true. And so this is my very serious concern. And the media is covering this, hiding it. I mean, there have been very few reports from the mainstream media, the drive-bys, about the reality of what's happening here. And of course, no journalists who are interested at all in talking about what I'm talking about or exploring, exploring what the, the reality on the ground there is of what Joe Biden is involving himself in. Do you think that Rubenstein invited Joe Biden? I mean, they're such good friends that he spent one Thanksgiving. One Thanksgiving. It was, I don't know that it was Thanksgiving. Let me look at this report here. No, it, I mean, I don't, they, okay. I, I'm looking at this New York Post report. Uh, Biden and his family have spent most Thanksgivings on the upscale Massachusetts island since the 1970s. They stayed at Rubenstein's compound before once in 2014 when Biden was president. Now, I don't know if that's Thanksgiving or not. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, Rubenstein and Joe are so close that Joe has stayed at his house once before seven years ago. And so... This is a, a quid pro quo situation. I mean, you cannot ignore the obvious circumstances of this. In the midst of Biden stacking his entire legacy on the passage now of this Build Back Better plan, where they've run into problems, run into problems because, of course, they can't get cinema or mansion on board, and the American public by and large, doesn't find this popular. 
And at a time in which the Democrats are struggling to package this thing and sell it to the American people, spin it to the American people, at a time in which this bill is mired in the now public reality that it's not paid for despite their lies and that they are searching for ways to pay for it. And in fact, they are helping the billionaire class in this bill by giving them additional tax breaks, loopholes, and everything else, despite the Democrats' continued claims that they're going to soak the rich. And yet in the bill, they're not soaking the rich. They're going to soak the middle class. And he just happens to go and spend Thanksgiving while he's trying to get this bill passed with a billionaire named Rubenstein, who's a leftist, who's worked in the Carter administration, who benefits from these billionaire policies and tax breaks. That's what's going on here. It's right in front of our eyes, in the public, impropriety, corruption, and it should be no surprise. But we don't have a media and we don't have journalists anymore. We don't have anyone sniffing this out. We don't have anyone interested in what's going on here. And this is a very, 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 I think, obvious violation of the ethics codes for a sitting president of the United States. But this is Jural, and I'll be right back. are just joining me, the Drew Allen Show. I am, of course, Drew Allen. For the first time, this is where entertainment and enlightenment coincide. I, uh, I've just really, I've really had it with what this administration is getting away with. Whether it's the Hunter Biden emails showing corruption while his father, Joe Biden, was vice president. Um, or, or I mean, any, any number of things. I mean, the media is totally disinterested in any of this. And I don't know about you. I, I'm just, I'm sick and tired. I'm fed up of being lied to. I'm sick and tired of feeling like I, as a private American citizen, who is supposed to be the master, master in terms of our arrangement with our government, they're supposed to be the servants of the people, it's never been more clear that those in government, especially Joe Biden and this regime, they reject that. I mean, it's like Marie Antoinette. Let them eat cake. And it's just so obvious Their disregard for the American people. How out of touch they are. I mean, here we are at a time in which this administration just brushes off the really dire economic reality of inflation, which, of course, includes rising gas prices, rising food prices, rising energy costs. Everything is rising. The cost of everything is up and our dollar doesn't go as far anymore and the people that this inflation most impacts and affects 
is not just the middle class, but the lower class. The Democrats claim to be trying to help. And here you have Joe Biden in the midst of really one of the the most dangerous and dire situations in our lifetimes in terms of where this country is headed and the, the, the immense suffering that is, has certainly begun and is going to continue, he has the nerve to go and spend Thanksgiving with a billionaire. What kind of human being behaves this way? What kind of government servant behaves this way? Well, the Washington, D.C. type and the Democrat type. And, you know, Peter Ducey, I can't believe they still allow him in there, to be honest, because he's the only one that asks hard questions and asks the questions. You know, Peter Ducey is the official questionnaire for the American people today. He's the only one. You know, we have these questions about this administration, things I'm talking about right now, and he's the only reporter in that room at press conferences time and time again who asked the questions on American on the American people's minds. And, you know, uh, Peter Ducey, in light of this revelation that Joe Biden was planning to spend his Thanksgiving on Nantucket at a billionaire's home, well, well, Peter Ducey asked Saki about how this looks to the middle class. The middle class, those Americans who are struggling right now, even struggling with the simple cost of putting together Thanksgiving and having Thanksgiving this year due to all those increased prices. And, and, and I mean, the response every time is so, it's disheartening doesn't describe it, but that's accurate. But it, it's sick. It really is. I mean, she's out there saying, well, you know, you know how many people you can feed with a 20-pound bird? They're only going up by a dollar approximately. And then you've got, I think it's Pocahontas, Elizabeth Warren out there, who's opening some kind of investigation into any of these companies that actually have uh, turkey farms or poultry farms and so on and so forth, that's trying to put the blame on them. They're price gouging us. And that's not what's happening at all. These individuals who are selling turkeys and poultry, well, they're responding to inflation themselves. They have to turn a profit. And not all of these people selling turkeys are major corporations. There are many, many local farmers and so on and so forth that raise these animals. And whether they sell them directly or they sell them to the bigger companies, they are trying to make a living. And they're under attack. Under attack for something that's not their fault. Something that is the Democrats' fault. But this is what they do. They deflect the blame. They won't take responsibility. They always put it on someone else. And they come in and say, oh, just give us more power. We'll solve this. But they created this problem. But anyway, Peter Ducey, God bless the man, asked Saki about, about this and, and how this, you know, the optics of this look. And here's, here's what she had to say, amongst other things. I quote, I hope you're spending time with your family, Saki countered. I'm spending time with my family. I hope everybody in here is spending time with their families. This is a time to put politics aside. Spend time with your loved ones and talk about what you're grateful for. She added, 
You are president no matter where you are. He will conduct his work from wherever he is on any vacation at any time. So flippant. And that's not the problem, Jen. Yes, we understand. I mean, look, this is a different scenario. This guy doesn't have his brain intact. And I'm going to get into some of his health issues in a minute. We've got a lying White House doctor that's claiming he's in perfectly good health. After he had a colonoscopy uh, in which they had to, to, to remove a polyp for the second or third time in his life. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we know you, 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 you're president no matter where you are. We accept that you can work from wherever you are. We accept that you can go to Mar-a-Lago or you can go to Camp David or wherever you go to your home and continue working. We get that it's supposed to be a 24-7 job. But don't kid me and act like Joe Biden conducts this like a 24-7 job. I got clips in a minute. He doesn't know what planet he's on, as usual. But the problem here, she doesn't even address, of course, Peter Ducey's question about how it looks. It's not that he's spending time with his family. It's that he's spending his time with his family while being hosted and staying at a billionaire's home. Is he paying for any of this? Why does he have to spend Thanksgiving at a billionaire's home? Why could he not rent a hotel? Why could he not pay for a house? After all, he's got three or four of them. He's got the dough. His sons earned quite a living. 10% was a lot for the big guy via China, Ukraine, whatever these corrupt arrangements were. So why is he staying with a billionaire? Why don't we address that, Jen? But she doesn't address it. She never does. She never does. But you know, the the truth is, libs can't take any criticism. They are the thinnest-skinned people alive. They really are. You know, LeBron James, did you hear about this at a game? I think they were, they must have been playing the, the Pacers because they were in Indiana, I believe. Don't quote me on that. It doesn't matter. But they were playing an away game. And front row seats there, courtside seats, apparently it's a... It's a young man and a woman. Uh, I don't know if they're girlfriend or, or husband, wife, whatever. But these two individuals apparently got under LeBron James' skin in overtime. They said something to him. We don't know what it was. We'll probably never know the truth from the left. They'll make up something. They'll probably say, well, they called LeBron James the N-word. It's justified. But anyway, whatever they said about LeBron James from the sideline, from the court side there, where he could hear them, well, he got under his skin. He couldn't tolerate it. So they heckle the guy, which is part of the sport, by the way. That's what happens. You play an away game, that's part of the spirit of the sport. You do try to get under their skin, just like individual players get under other basketball players' skin. That's part of the sport. That's accepted. You go to an away game, you're going to get heckled. They don't like you. You're rooting for your team. And LeBron James, give me a break. All the media, all the news about this guy, how he's he's bought and paid for by the communist Chinese, all of his stupid comments, his holier-than-thou attitude. I mean, the guy really does need to shut up and dribble. That's the truth. He's an ignoramus on everything, and he's corrupt. He has no morals, no ethics. But, you know, this guy, as rich as he is, as famous as he is, Well, he apparently doesn't have much self-confidence because he can't take any criticism. 
We see this every time with him. But anyway, LeBron James comes over. He shouts an obscenity himself. Uh, he used the F word in pointing out who was saying something to the officials. And those officials promptly removed these two individuals who paid for these courtside seats from the arena. Escorted them out. This guy's a joke. This guy's such a wimp. You know, with Kyle Rittenhouse, when Kyle got up there and gave his own testimony on the stand and he broke down in tears, LeBron James mocked him, made fun of him. He said something like, boy, he looks like he just ate a bunch of lemon drops or lemon heads or whatever the heck they were with his face crying like that. But LeBron James, you can look it up. I mean, that guy cries all the time. He's the biggest crybaby I've ever seen. He's in his, I don't know, late 30s now, and he's still a child. He's got a child mentality. And so he makes fun of Rittenhouse, and then when people make fun of him at an away game, he can't even take it. He cries about it. He gets the referees to come over and kick them out. So big and important is the dictator, LeBron James. But anyway, I, I want to play a clip here. Uh, this is Joe Biden, right? This is when I was lamenting the fact that I didn't have an opportunity to sit across from liberal Democrats where they were stuck in a house in a room with me for a moment because that's the only way they would ever face me uh, because they fear me as they should. Well, I would, I'd like to ask them about, about their, their president, right? Joe Biden, most popular president in American history. So brilliant. Such a great guy. Such a better alternative than Donald Trump. Donald Trump was so stupid, right? So stupid. And yet Donald Trump could go in and out of a teleprompter without any problem, without anyone knowing. He reads from it. He breaks away. He comes back to it, which is an art, by the way. It's not easy to do. And uh, Joe Biden apparently proves it's not easy to do because he can't do it. So here is here is Joe Biden the other day reading from a teleprompter. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here at Channel 4 News. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. Damn it. Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? For the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, that was the wrong clip, I'm afraid. That was uh that was Ron Burgundy in Anchorman uh reading everything from the from the teleprompter. There was a question mark on the teleprompter and so brain dead and mind numbed was Ron Burgundy that he said, I'm Ron Burgundy? Sorry, wrong clip. Here's Joe Biden. Because of the actions we've taken, things have begun to change. And the quote in the There it is, there it is. I don't know I I well, Joe Biden is the Ron Burgundy of American presidents without any of the charm and without any of the, um, <laughs> well, those qualities that made uh, Ron Burgundy lovable in the end, including a little bit of self-reflection and the ability to change himself and better himself. But there you go. He's reading a teleprompter. They are prompting him on the teleprompter that it's the end of a quote, uh, of course, because he doesn't write any of this himself. Uh, he doesn't apparently study it before he gets out there. They just shove him out there. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't get to see him walk to the pulpit. I wonder if he had a little bit of a, a giddy-up in his step now that the polyp was removed from his butt. But uh, his colon, I should say. But anyway, there he is. Blah, 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 blah. In quote, 
I, that, see, this is the type of thing I would love to address with some liberal Democrats at a Thanksgiving table. Hey, guys. Hey, did you see, did you see Joe Biden's recent press conference? Did you see it? I mean, remember how dumb George Bush was? How stupid that guy was? And remember how dumb you guys thought Donald Trump was? Can you imagine being so stupid and so out of touch and so brain dead that when you read the teleprompter, you actually read in quote? Did you know that Joe Biden did that? I guarantee you the liberal Democrats don't even know that that happened because they're not paying attention. They're not watching. And so they don't even know that happened. They probably don't know half. I I bet that, you know, if a liberal Democrat were to listen to my program, the Drew Allen Show, they would be shocked, stunned. I bet that 95% of the things that I report and talk about on here, they weren't even aware of. I would bet on it. I would absolutely bet on it. But uh, Joe Biden isn't the only idiot in the regime. This regime is plagued by morons, including the energy secretary. Now, you know that saying that that traveled around for a while? You know, everyone had memes about it. It was kind of this funny thing. You had one job. You had one job. Well, we've got the energy secretary, and she has one job, and that's to be, you know, up-to-date, savvy, data-driven, aware of the ins and outs of what? Energy in America, which would include things like oil production, gas prices. She's the energy secretary, right? That's her job? Well, you'd think so. But here's the energy secretary. Listen to this. There are various figures about this, so I'm curious if you know. How many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day? I don't have that number in front of me. Some suggest it's about 18 million, which would suggest you're releasing less than three days' worth of supply from the petroleum reserve. So that was Energy Secretary uh, Jennifer Granholm admitting that she doesn't know how many barrels of oil the U.S. consumes per day. I mean, this is amazing. She has to be told by a reporter how many barrels of oil the U.S. consumes per day. I don't have that number in front of me. Sorry, Granholm replied. So, you know, in 2020, everyone could look this up. You'd think if you were the energy secretary, you would know all of this information. But in 2020, the U.S. consumed an average of 18.19 million barrels of petroleum per day. And so the reality is this... uh, tapping into the strategic oil reserves that the Biden administration is doing is going to provide oil for three days. Three days. So they are going to destroy and deplete our strategic oil reserves, which are not intended to be used in a situation like this. So not only has Joe Biden eliminated, destroyed, and is at war with American oil, petroleum, independence. But he's now tapping into the strategic oil reserves and depleting those. So we'll have nowhere to turn in the future, given a real crisis that occurs. But it's not surprising that Jennifer Granholm doesn't know how many barrels of oil this country consumes per day. Because she doesn't care. 
She wants Green to win. Remember, this is the same person who, upon becoming energy secretary, was out promoting a company that she was invested in that was related to electric vehicles. And she sold stock for, I think, $1.6 million. So you, you know what's become of this? These uh, Democrats and the Democrat Party, they have invested heavily in electric vehicles. Remember that, for example, Nancy Pelosi, right? Her husband, who's her financier, uh, he's invested heavily in Tesla, for example. So it's in the interest, self-interest, of these Democrat politicians to destroy oil and gasoline in this country and force us, force us to convert to electric vehicles, not to save the planet, but because they will make a windfall from the profits and their investments in electric vehicles. That's what this is really about. It's about crony capitalism. They want to fundamentally transform this country and not only make the American taxpayer suffer, but make themselves rich beyond belief. It's just like Al Gore. He has made a killing, a killing off of his scheme, off of his lies, off of his Academy Award winning BS film of lies about climate change. And that's what all these people are aiming to do. They want to be like Al Gore. So these people have a conflict of interest. They want to not, I mean, there are other nefarious reasons for this. It's about control and power, but it's also about enriching themselves. So why not do both? Why not kill two birds with one stone? Fundamentally transform our economy. Make us dependent on the government. And at the same time, make themselves rich. But the fact that the energy secretary doesn't know how much oil we consume, this is just like Pete Buttigieg. He doesn't know what's going on, how to solve any problem with the supply chain crisis and supply crisis in this country. And she doesn't know what to do about oil, nor does she care, nor does Pete Buttigieg care. They're just political ideologues driven to do the bidding of the globalists to, you know, drop America down a notch or three or a hundred. Because remember, you know, Granholm, by the way, there's another quotation by her. I'm doing this from memory because I have such a great brain here. But in the past... You know, she suggested, for example, that we don't, we don't have any moral imperative to judge or tell China what to do in terms of their approach to climate change or anything else. That's what globalism is, and that's who these people are. Globalism can't exist so long as America is the sole superpower. You see, America has to be destroyed. There have to be multiple superpowers or America taken out of the mix completely for globalism to prevail because in the globalist mentality... Well, you can't have America as the predominant superpower. We have to give up our strength. We have to give up our dominance. We have to hand over the reins of dominance to places like China or Russia 
or any other place. That's what this globalism is about. And, you know, I mean, the lies from this party as well. You know, back in, um, I mean, none of this happened under the, under the, the, in, under the Trump administration. We didn't have inflation. We had energy independence, independence. We had cheaper oil prices. We had a flourishing, astonishing, I mean, the economy was booming under the Trump administration. And here comes the Biden administration and suddenly he eliminates the Keystone Pipeline. He passes legislation that prevents oil companies, prevents fracking, prevents companies from from uh, digging new oil wells and so on and so forth. So this is by design. This is the Democrat Party that's done this to America. It didn't happen under Trump, and now it's happening under Biden. This isn't Trump's fault. This is the Biden regime's design. And so there you have the energy secretary who doesn't know anything about energy in America. Another incompetent boob, political ideologue in this administration that is doing her damnedest to destroy America without answering for any of their real, truly, crimes against the American citizen. But there is some good news. There is some good news. You know, we talked about the Rittenhouse trial a little bit, about what that meant and the media's reaction to that. Uh, Despite their best efforts to intimidate the jury, despite their best efforts for a year to spin a narrative that would persuade future jurors through fear, through indoctrination, and other means, well, the jury unanimously acquitted Kyle Rittenhouse on all charges. He was found not guilty across the board. And now we have the Ahmad uh, trial, Ahmad Arbery. And look, these trials are very similar. Not the trials, but the situations. In the sense that both were captured on video, and both were very clear in terms of what the verdict should be in both cases. In the case of Kyle Rittenhouse, it was abundantly clear that it was self-defense. We had the video of him being pursued, of him being hit with a skateboard, of him being attacked and defending himself. And with the Ahmad Arbery, you know, there was no pushback from Republicans and conservatives because we saw it with our own eyes too. Remember too, Derek Chauvin, Republicans pretty much immediately I mean, they didn't take, they didn't paint George Floyd as Jesus Christ, as a savior, but Republicans and conservatives who watched the video of Derek Chauvin putting his, his knee on the neck of uh, George Floyd, well, everyone was pretty much in unanimous agreement that that was excessive, excessive force used, and that it didn't make sense. It wasn't necessary. And so regardless of the fentanyl in a system or anything else, pretty much everyone said, they sat back and said, you know, I mean, this Derek Chauvin thing, like, I mean, the difference in the Republicans and conservatives and Democrats was the Democrats just wanted a mob to essentially hang Derek Chauvin right away. But Republicans and conservatives took the legal approach, the constitutional approach, which was, yeah, it looks bad. Back off. Justice will be served. 
Just let this go to court like it's supposed to, go through the legal system, and the right verdict will be reached. Our problem was when Maxine Waters and Democrats threatened to riot and burn down cities and destroy things if the jury didn't give the verdict they wanted. That's the difference. That's the problem. That's mob rule. They tried to do it with Kyle Rittenhouse, and it didn't work this time, which we celebrated. The jury did the right thing, and now we have the jury doing the same thing again, the right thing. Ahmad Arbery, uh, forgive me if I get his pronounce his name a little bit wrong, but that was clear. He was jogging and um, through a neighborhood. He was pursued by a couple of white folks. I think a third one was videotaping the event, and they shot him dead, shot him dead. And no American said, hey, uh, those guys were probably in the right. I mean, clearly they just killed a guy. They killed Ahmad Arbery, who was not doing anything wrong. And the, uh, the trial just took place, of course. And the left tried still to promote a narrative that didn't come to be true. You know, you know what the left really wanted with Ahmad Arbery? Don't doubt me on this. They actually would have preferred if the jury had found those white men who murdered Ahmad, if they had found those white men not guilty. That's what they wanted. Don't mistake me. They didn't want him. They didn't want those white men to be found guilty because it doesn't prove their narrative. Now, when they were reporting on the jury, the makeup of this jury, for example, they were already pitching a narrative to try and promote this, you know, America is an inherently racist place with systemic racism. They were trying to push that. Uh, I think it was CNN that was saying, you know, hey, you know, this jury, they've got nine white women, two white men, and only one black man on the jury. And they were saying, oh, well, you know, having only one black juror, that's a problem. That is a problem because Glen County, uh, the population there where this was taking place, the, the trial, well, the population is about 69% white, 26% black. And so Arbery was black and the defendants are mostly white. And this is unfair because, of course, only black people should serve on trials for black people and only white people in the demented minds of of the left should serve with white people, right? Everyone's racist is the point. The fact that there's only one black guy, black juror, in this trial for Arbery, well, we're going to have problems. Systemic racism, here we go. These whites, they're racist inherently. We need more black people on here because only black people can do justice for blacks. But guess what happened? The white guys who shot Arbery were all found guilty. Every single one of them. That's what the jury ruled. The white jury, predominantly white jury, found those white men guilty and sentenced them to life in prison, certainly. But Rittenhouse and this were similar in another way. In the Arbery trial, the defense, those defending the white individuals who murdered this jogger, black jogger, the defense didn't have a case, never did. And the prosecution in the Rittenhouse trial, they didn't have a case. It was cut and clear. It was obvious. But something beautiful happened. Uh, something that the Democrat Party and Joe Biden should take 
a lesson from. And you know who it is? It's an unlikely individual. It's Ahmad Arbery's father. After the verdict was reached, finding these white murderers guilty. He talked after the trial, and I want you to hear what he had to say. He says, all lives matter. All lives matter. Now, this is, this is, uh, you can't say that. You're not supposed to say that. The left says, well, yo, all lives matter. Uh, this insists, they insist the phrase minimizes, it minimizes the struggle of African Americans against systemic racism. Systemic racism, apparently, that did the right thing. Did the right thing. You know, in the, in the, in the demented, deranged, alternate reality, fantasy land of the Democrats, this jury of white people should have found those white men innocent because they were racist. That's how the narrative goes. And they should have uh, been on the side of the whites and against the black murdered victim. But that didn't happen. But they say, all lives matter. Oh, it's offensive. It's offensive. But here we have the system, the system that the left claims is racist. It's out to get black people. Whites are inherently racist. And guess what the system did? They convicted three white men. A white jury convicted three white men. But I want you to hear Ahmad Arbery's father now. For real, all life matters. All life. Yes. Not just black children. We don't want to see nobody go through this. Amen. I don't want to see no daddy watch a kid get left and shot down like that. That's right, Ma. So it's all our problem. It's all our problem. So, hey, let's keep fighting. Let's keep doing it and making this place a better place for all human beings. Amen. All human beings. Amen. Everybody. Love everybody. All human beings need to be treated equally. That was Arbery's father. That is an impressive, impressive man. And uh, I'm certain he's a, he's a Christian. I don't know about his politics. I don't care. You can watch the video, by the way. Al Sharpton, of course, is there with him. And when he starts to talk about all lives matter and not go along with this narrative, pushing BLM, for example, and systemic racism, well, it looks like they're ready to take him away from the microphone. They can't shut him up quick enough. Um, it's very bizarre, by the way. I, uh, I despise Al Sharpton. Uh, you know, you have the ambulance chasers out there that are looking to make a profit off of other people's injuries. And that's what Al Sharpton is. He's an ambulance chaser. This guy, Al Sharpton, has no relationship with the Arbery family. But anytime there's a alleged injustice, anytime anything happens to a black American, Al Sharpton interjects himself on the scene. He's a loathsome, loathsome individual who, um, I don't know if he's paid his, uh, his taxes yet, you know, he's had a lot of issues with money. Uh, I don't know if he's made enough money from his fledgling zero audience. Uh, where is he at on CNN or where, wherever he has his show? I think it might be NBC or MSNBC. Um, but what a loathsome person to show up like that. You know, in this time of trial for him, what comfort can Al Sharpton offer? But nonetheless, think about this guy's situation. Think about this, this individual situation. He's lost his son. His son has been murdered. Murdered in cold blood by these loathsome white individuals in this case. He's gone through hell. He's lost his son. No parent wants to outlive their children. And he's simply satisfied 
that justice was served for his son. It's not a race issue. He doesn't bring up the race of the men who shot his son. He speaks broadly. He doesn't speak of color. He doesn't speak of systemic racism. He speaks of unity. All lives matter, he says. We've all got to love each other. We've all got to move forward. We've all got to get justice for everyone. Everyone deserves justice. And that's a conservative message. And of course, that's going to irk the Democrat Party. I guarantee they won't be covering what Ahmad Arbery's father has said because he didn't do what they want. He didn't promote their narrative because the reality is we are imperfect. Every country is imperfect, but this is the most perfect country that's ever existed in an imperfect world in world history. And we don't have systemic racism in this country. One example of something going awry, one example of a police officer doing the wrong thing doesn't mean this is a racist country. It means that individuals make mistakes. Individuals make, make mistakes. But these two cases prove that this country is not systemically racist, despite the lies from the left. With Rittenhouse, justice prevailed. Despite the left's intimidation, despite the left's very, very real overt efforts to get Rittenhouse uh, to render him guilty, to influence that jury. They admonished the, the, uh, um, uh, what am I trying to say? The judge in that case, right? They tried to make him look like some sympathizer and they were never going to get the right result that it was a rigged system, but it wasn't a rigged system. And in this case, you have a white jury predominantly, one black juror on it, and justice was served. And the thing is, in both of those cases, there was video. We could see it with our own eyes what happened. And obviously things needed to go through the justice system. We don't want mob rule here. That's not what we're about in this country. But we could. We did have the benefit of watching it unfold with our own eyes and drawing our own conclusions without all of the uh, media apparatus, propagandists telling us what to think and how to, how to judge. We could do it for ourselves. And the right verdict was reached here. And that's a, that's a, a very, very encouraging thing for America. Encouraging thing for America. All right, this is Drew Allen. I'll be right back to close out. Well, I broke the news of the Waukesha, Wisconsin parade murderer on the last episode of the podcast, and I got to admit, I, I held back. I didn't speak some of the things that were on my mind. I thought it was respectful. I thought it was the right thing to do. But in retrospect, I feel like I should have just said what was on my mind. And that was that um, – look, what, 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 what happened played out as I expected, all right? Had it been – some white individual, uh, the media would have, would have gone hog wild in the reporting of the story. But instead, 
when that didn't happen, when they held back on the news, when we when we saw a little bit of uh, resistance on the part of the media to jump the gun and tell us everything that happened, the motivation, and so on and so forth, well, we knew then. We knew then that it wasn't a white person that drove this car because had it been, they would have been all over it. So it was a uh, Black Lives Matter terrorist. That's who killed these, I think the uh, death tallies... Um, up to six now. I believe it was five, and then it they lost one at the hospital. And uh, it's an absolute tragedy. Uh, but one thing I did remark was that these things are becoming more and more common. And I did say it's a result of the Democrat Party. And that part's true, and that part's long been true. But um, the media is such a disgrace, such a disgrace. CNN immediately tried to cover, tried to get ahead of this and spread lies, because they knew, they knew, well, what other outlets, well, conservative outlets, journalists actually were reporting that this was a black man with a long, long criminal history and record behind him who did this. And of course, this goes back to the Democrat Party. They have blood on their hands. They have blood on their hands again with what happened at this uh, parade. Now, the left, CNN, is the worst offender every single time. They immediately came out and tried to claim and make excuses to soften what happened. Imagine that. This psychopath murders a bunch of innocent Americans, and CNN immediately says, well, he didn't mean to do it. They didn't know that. Or worse, they knew it wasn't true, but reported that lie anyway. But they tried to cover and say, oh, he was fleeing another incident. He didn't mean to run over all the barriers and go onto the street and just plow through people, zigzagging, trying to claim as many lives clearly as he could. <coughs> and that's the part of the disgrace. But the Washington Post is even worse. Uh, their headline was that an SUV killed people. An SUV did not kill these individuals. A Black Lives Matter terrorist murdered these people using his SUV as a weapon. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting with bated breath, bated breath for the media to call for a ban on maroon Ford SUVs because that's the weapon that was used, right? You know, we say guns don't kill people, people kill people, and we're ridiculed. Well, SUVs don't kill people, people driving SUVs kill people, you jack A's out there in the media. And this was a uh, equivalent to a mass shooting. You know, had a gun been used, this would have been a mass shooting event. Had a gun been used, there'd be renewed calls for the elimination of the Second Amendment, renewed calls for a ban on AR-15s, even if the guy didn't even use one. That's what would be said. But this guy used an SUV, which tells you what? Guns aren't the problem in America. It's deranged lunatics who are incited to violence by the left and by the media and by the Democrat Party. This guy was an anti-white individual, a Black Lives Matter guy, allegedly incited to this by the Rittenhouse verdict in which Rittenhouse was found not guilty. Imagine that. Once again, just like Steve Scalise, who was shot and nearly killed on a baseball field by a Bernie Sanders supporter, who believed all the crap he was told by Bernie Sanders and the left about hatred towards Republicans. Well, here we have another guy, 
Another guy who believes the BLM lie, even though we just spent the last segment talking about how the latest court ruling in these two cases with both uh, uh, Rittenhouse and Ahmad Arbery proved that, well, justice is served in the American court system in most cases. But I want to get to this Washington Post article. They're really, really a disgrace. Democracy dies in darkness, and Washington Post is doing their best to kill democracy. That's the truth. So here's, here's one of their headlines. SUV crash into Wisconsin Christmas parade is latest among deadly car ramming incidents. Oh, we have a car ramming incident pandemic, apparently. Let me tell you how sick they are. So Daryl e. Brooks, 39, he's the name of this individual with a long criminal record. I'm going to get into him in just a moment. But uh, according to the Washington Post, car ramming incidents have become all too familiar in the United States and around the world. Uh, they, 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 here's how they slowly bleed out their bull crap. Screw it. I got a podcast here. They're bullshit. I'm going to say it because I can't hold back. Here's their bullshit. So these uh, car ramming incidents, according to the Washington Post, are becoming a more prominent tool in attacks against protesters by far right or far left groups. Here's what they refer to. Now, remember the Nation of Islam individual uh, a year or two ago that killed and murdered a Capitol Police officer in his vehicle? No, that was this year, actually. That was this year that happened. I remember that incident. Uh, that was earlier this year. A Nation of Islam uh, member um, outside the White House with a knife in his car ran over a Capitol Police officer. He hit two of them. Only one of them died. That was one incident. But what is the only one the Washington Post refers to? One of the most well-known such incidents occurred in 2017 when avowed neo-Nazi James A. Fields Jr. rammed his car into a crowd of counter-protesters at a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, killing one person and injuring 35 others. Now, this is the, um, the uh, good people on both sides hoax, the lie from the Democrat Party, Charlottesville about removing the Robert E. Lee statue, and you had Antifa there, and a group of uh, Proud Boys, perhaps. I don't know, they're calling them neo-Nazis. But the Antifa people were there to uh, incite a riot. And so they got into it, these two far group, far left, far right groups. And, um, and yeah, it got out of hand. A car was used. A person was killed by one of these individuals. Um... But it was Antifa and these uh, this other group that were to blame. And so now they get into, a, in a June 2021 report, the Counter-Extremism Report Project, a nonpartisan, you know, anytime you see nonpartisan, it means it's a leftist organization. Just remember that. A nonpartisan, and bipartisan's even worse, by the way. But a nonpartisan research and advocacy group based in New York said attacks against protesters using cars are most often the domain of the far right. Although some were also perpetrated by those on the left against right-wing protests. So these people are full of crap. Full of crap. Here we have a BLM activist who murdered five, six individuals, injuring dozens of others, innocent Americans, incited to violence by the left, by the Democrat Party, by the leftist propagandist media, who lied about Rittenhouse, who lies about white people, who lies about the situation in America. And the Washington Post doesn't talk about that incident. They don't condemn Daryl. No, 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 no. 
well, you know, this is typically uh, an activity done by the far right, conservatives, Republicans, but, you know, in this case, it happened to be a leftist. That's how sick and perverted these people are. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, they get into what happened in Nice and France, which has nothing to do with America. But here they are, trying to make excuses. Excuses. Cover their bases. Cover their tracks. Whatever. But let's get into who this individual was, this leftist, that the Washington Post loves. They can put his statue next to George Floyd. They're both heroes in the minds of the left. This guy's a particular hero. He killed a bunch of uh, Americans, including a white child, I believe. So that's, uh, that's good for the left. They love that kind of stuff. They only get upset uh, when a white person's uh, guilty of some kind of uh, incident or murder. So here it is. Six dead and over 60 injured. This guy... Daryl Brooks, 39, he's a career criminal. Uh, He spent more than half his life trapped in a revolving door of incarceration, drug abuse, and violence. He used a red Ford Escape to plow through revelers at an annual Christmas celebration in Waukesha, Wisconsin on Sunday. But his life of crime started 22 years ago when he was just 17 years old. Surprise, surprise. This is from the New York Post. Over the next two decades, Brooks would proceed to wreak havoc across three states. As he, oh, he crossed state lines. Oh my gosh, don't tell the left. As he racked up convictions for abusing his partners, raping, and impregnating a teenager, and a consistent streak of other violent crimes. So why is this guy on the streets? Well, we'll get into that. Because that's what George Soros' appointed DAs, the ones he funds, want. They're the ones releasing these people from prison and limiting their sentences. Pedophile? Eh, not that bad. Get on the street. You almost killed somebody? Eh, you didn't quite kill him. Get back on the street and do some more crime. Um, so, you know, this guy has a history of mental illness. He didn't have a father growing up. Surprise, surprise. We know that's a great pandemic in this country, especially in minority communities. People without fathers, no role models, nobody looking out for them. And so they get involved in crime. They were on welfare for most of his childhood, Brooks wrote in a 2000 letter to a judge. Father was an alcoholic, abusive to his mom. He became an addict, a habitual domestic abuser, prone to violence and threats. And he used a vehicle as a weapon on numerous occasions, authorities said. Uh, He abandoned his firstborn son before the child was three months old. Darrell Brooks did. A life of crime. Here we go. 1999, first felony, age 17, for substantial battery intending bodily harm. Three years of probation. And then uh, misdemeanor charges, 2002-2003, never escapes the revolving door of violence and criminality. 2005, he goes to Reno, Nevada, in a bid for a fresh start. But guess what happened? Within a year, he was charged with statutory sexual seduction. He raped and impregnated a teen girl who he claims told him she was 18 at the time. BS. He pleaded guilty, was ordered not to contact the victim, but uh, he called this teenager he impregnated using a stolen phone card, confronted her at a bus stop, and he got went back to jail, where he served, what, just 129 days. So he's an adult, 
And for this, he only serves 129 days. He was a registered sex offender because of what he did. And um, then we get to 2009 and 2011, in, at, in and out of jail for a series of crimes, strangulation, suffocation. During a 2011 bust, uh, he was charged with restricting or obstructing an officer for a second time. I mean, this it just it's it's an endless rap sheet, an endless rap sheet. 2016, Brooks was busted again for failing to register as a sex offender. July 2020, he fired a gun at his nephew during a fight over a cell phone. Hero of the left, this guy. Anyway, he's got methamphetamine. He had a stolen Beretta 9mm handgun. And somehow this guy's always, well, he's not in prison. He's on the streets. How is this possible? Well, Democrat policies, that's how. Anyway, so he had trouble in Georgia, made his way back to Wisconsin. Um, more violence. Uh, what did he do here? He punched a girl in the face, ran her over with his car. That's amazing. He threatened to kill this woman, apparently, on multiple occasions. And he uh, said the police, told the police this woman made them up because she was drunk. And so uh, he was given a uh, bail of $1,000 for running over a woman. And uh, this was three weeks before the massacre in Waukesha at the Christmas parade. So three weeks before, he runs over a woman, punches her in the face, his bail is set for a thousand. I don't ever want to hear ever, ever, ever again that um, blacks get treated differently in a negative light compared to whites or anybody else. A thousand dollar bail for what he did? Give me a freaking break. You try to run over somebody with your car, you do run over somebody with your car, and your bail is set for a thousand dollars, and you're easily walking the streets? Um... I don't think so. I don't think so. So anyway, three weeks later, he uh, barreled toward the Christmas parade, smashed through barricades, plowed through revelers and marchers, celebrating the annual event with no emotion on his face. And uh, we don't have time to get into it, but his um, social media profiles were filled with democratic rhetoric and hatred that you hear from the likes of Pelosi, Maxine Waters, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Jen Psaki, and the rest of the usual suspects. So there you have it. The leftist media has no credibility whatsoever. They defend pedophiles. They defend murderers. And they attack innocent Americans. Blame innocent Americans. They don't stand for justice. They stand for destruction. The media in this country is out of control, and I hope that more and more Americans are becoming savvy to the disgrace and liars that they are. Because a nation that does not have honest journalism, that has propaganda, well, it becomes very, very difficult to survive. 
Democracy dies in darkness, the Washington Post says. And the leftist media, including the Washington Post, are determined for democracy to die in the darkness because they represent the darkness. They shroud the truth in darkness. They report lies. They are deceivers. And, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm, I, uh, I just, with the Waukesha thing, I mean, what a tragedy that happened. It shouldn't have happened in this country, as I said before. And for a media to try and deflect, to not confront this head on, to not have the interest of America at heart, to not address the root cause of the issue, which is this young man who was troubled, who had problems, who had a history of violence, who never should have been on the streets. The system failed. The system failed. The, the system of systemic racism allowed this African-American individual, BLM terrorist, to roam the streets despite a lifetime of criminal behavior, of abuse towards others, of uh, sexual deviancy, of rape, and violence. Yeah, yeah, that's the systemic racism, I guess, that the left talks about. Systemic racism that allows individuals like this to murder innocent Americans. All right, this is Drew Allen. I didn't have time to get into a few things, including a interview with Brett Baer in which he shows his cowardice. Uh, but we'll get into that on Monday. But again, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. This is Drew Allen. God bless you all, and until next time.